Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Euro's Digest Extra Time. I'm Joe Cooper in for your usual host Guy Clark who's been holiday. Joined today by Tom Leach of Hampshire Live and Warren Muggleton of the Daily Star and we have the very simple job really of talking through Ukraine nil, England 4 from last night. It was really, really, really a short performance we've just been seeing off camera um, that it was quite strange watching an England performance so assured, so without worry. Um, you know, so many little backstories as well. Luke Shaw's redemption, you know, back-to-back semi-finals. Jaden Sancho came in with an excellent performance. Um, we have so much depth. All of a sudden we had, you know, Phil Ford and Jack Grealish on the bench. Harry Kane hitting form at the right time. Um, and, you know, so many other stories, I guess. Warren, if we start with Luke Shaw, who was, you know, publicly chastised by Jose Mourinho, had a really sort of nasty injury uh, at the start of his Manchester United career. Last night, he provided more assists in four minutes than Zinedine Zidane did in his entire Euros career, which obviously means that Luke Shaw is better than Zinedine Zidane because that's how football works, isn't it? But in all seriousness, <laughs> what, what a player um, and what a performance he put in last night. Oh, it's brilliant. I mean, especially the day after Jose Mourinho took the job at Roma, where they play at the Stadio Olimpico. That's the ultimate redemption story, I think, that one. But I mean, he was he was just, I think he encapsulated what all of those England players were, composure, creativity and confidence, just whenever they were on the ball. And Shaw was definitely the brilliant one in that. And I, I, I go as far as saying there's no one else playing at the left-back position like Luke Shaw at the moment, the way he's doing it. He's just so attacking. And you, every cross that he puts in, you would argue someone's going to get on top. I think to dig my own little stat out, if I can, Joe, I think by April 2021, I think he created 50 chances in the Premier League. I mean, more than anybody else at that time. And it's something, This what he's been doing at Manchester United has just translated straight into the same position for England as well. Southgate just watched his players close. He knows what their strengths are. And Luke Shaw was a perfect example of that being translated from club into country. And it's proving to be the winning formula at the moment, Joe. Uh, Tom, we talk about the the going forward of Luke Shaw and the assists and, um, and you know the attacking threat, but really England's performance in this tournament so far has been based on their solid backline. You know, we haven't conceded a goal. Um, the only real chance I can think of against us was Thomas Muller's, obviously, which you know he should have scored, but he didn't. Um, it's quite strange to see an England side so sort of assured at the back and we've gone through every game really without a major worry. Yeah, well, that's that's what we wanted really, isn't it? I mean, I think last night pretty much summed up exactly the kind of performance that we wanted. Yes, there were, there were periods in the first half when it was, it maybe felt a little bit laboured. I think the last kind of 20 minutes of the first half didn't, didn't look good. It looked like we did sometimes in, in the group stages, but I mean... I remember saying as soon as I saw that it was Ukraine we were playing next, it, wouldn't it be great to, to blow someone away 4-0? Um, and that's exactly what they did. Defensively, I think we look probably the best in the tournament. We look the hardest team to beat, I think, in the tournament. Um, and we've also got a manager who I think we're really lucky to have because he seems to match us up really well against teams that we play. Um, we'll speak about Denmark uh, later on in this, but I think we'll probably go to a five at the back again against Denmark um, to cope with how they play with their wing-backs. I know Ukraine with, with wingbacks as well but um, I don't think they were anywhere near as dangerous going forward as Denmark looked like they will be um, but yeah defensively there, there, there's nothing you can you can really say to criticise the defensive performance we were saying on air uh, before we went on air with this just how lucky we are to have, to have Jordan Pickford as well he's had a brilliant tournament um, and, and that back four last night maybe Walker that there could be some doubts there but there's just such depth in the back four as well that especially in the wingback areas of players who can who can step in 
just on the defence, one one of the really big positives last night that's possibly gone under the radar with a 4-0 win is that we had, I think it was three players on a yellow card who could have potentially been suspended for the next game. And I think it was uh, Calvin Phillips, Declan Rice and Harry Maguire. And they all got through um, without getting a yellow card. So no suspensions for the next game, Warren. How big do you think that that is, given that Southgate seems to have settled on his you know preferred defence now? Uh, it's massive, Joe. I think... Some people, I think we're probably expecting it to be a bit of a dogfight at Wembley against Denmark. You know, I think they're going to play in a very similar style to us, looking to attack, take it on the book, take the defence and try and break away. You'd expect that to draw a lot of fouls and stuff. So having that clean record going into Wembley is a great thing. I mean, I think I think there was actually four, if I might not mistake, but I think Phil Foden was in there as well, but he didn't play. So I think that doesn't count. But Harry Maguire was one of them. He was just absolutely astute. At the in the centre back position, he rarely got threatened. I think at times by Ukraine, but when he did, when any pass was coming in, he was well reading. And there's also those two defensive midfielders, Calvin Phillips and Declan Rice. And I think that really comes down to Gareth Southgate. The credit should come to there because he took them off towards the end, toward, after the second goals, the two goals have been scored at the beginning of the second half to bring in Henderson and to bring in Jude Bellingham. It's sort of twofold, like you say, it cuts out the risk of getting that yellow card. So get ruled about the semi-final and they're proving to be crucial in England's play as Frank Lampard showed us in his match of the day analysis and it also gave a chance to give those players like Henderson and Bellingham a bit of time that confidence should we need them to come on in that in those semi-finals and who knows final it's a really good thing so I think all the credit for this should go to Gareth Southgate he managed that game superbly cutting out the risk of more than anything else yeah, definitely a huge boost. And just on the semi-finals, Tom, um, this is obviously now back-to-back semi-finals for England, which you know is kind of unprecedented, really. Um, at, at this stage, would you have England as favourites for the tournament? Obviously, we've still got Italy, who I believe were unbeaten in thirty-two with thirteen consecutive wins, and a, a very strong Spain side as well. You know, we would be favourites to beat Denmark. But what do you make of Italy and Spain? Yeah, I think with the bookmakers, we'll be favourites just simply because our side of the semi-final was a little bit uh, more favourable, shall we say? Um, uh, yeah, we've also got, uh, like I said before, a side who've, who've shown that we're probably the hardest team to beat, definitely the hardest team to score against. Um, I think one one big thing for Southgate last night as well will be, I mean, something we can also mention is those set-piece goals too, which I think will be crucial for us going into this next game. I mean, he spoke about how we weren't really scoring goals from set-pieces like we were three years ago. Um, last night, they've shown that they can do that. But Spain and Italy, I think it's Italy that I fear more than anyone else. I think Spain looked like we could probably get at them. Uh, I think we could get at Italy as well, but Italy seemed to have that just flash of quality every now and then that you can't really prepare for and you can't really defend against. I think Insigne was brilliant the other night. He's just the kind of player who would just hurt us. Um, I guess the bonus is, and it's something I've said since, since we got out of the group really, we found ourselves on that side of the tournament where if we're going to play a massive team, once we were past Germany, if we were going to play a massive team, it was going to be in the final. And then you can almost just kind of throw who's who's the favourite out the window when you get into that game because it's such a big spectacle that it's 50-50 in that kind of game, no matter who the two teams are that are in the final. So um, I think that's a big bonus. But I think it's Italy who, who fill me with the most fear. And I'm, I imagine you two probably agree with that. They've both they, they, they've looked really good. Yeah, I, I totally agree on Italy. I think Spain sort of they're not what they were obviously when they won it in you know, 2008, 2010, 2012 and they, they do look like a team that can be got out whereas 
you know, Italy, very, very solid. Um, but speaking of flashes of brilliance, uh, Jaden Sancho, Warren, last night came on in his, his first game and there was perhaps a little bit of worry that he would, you know, come in and maybe be a little bit rusty. Um, obviously, hasn't played so far in the tournament, but I mean, there was one moment in particular where he took it around two players and, and ended up getting fouled. But it, it's almost like every single player that, that's come into this side has performed, you know, to, to the best of their ability and almost had the best game for England. But Sancho, I think in particular last night, was was excellent. He certainly was. He, I think Gareth Southgate said it after the game. He said he was looking for that right-footed player to stretch the game out. And Sancho gave him the purpose. And we know that Gareth Southgate loves to adapt. And that's what makes this England team so good at the moment. You never really know which, which way they're going to go. But Sancho was perfect for this game, like I say, stretching the play. But he also had that freedom to come inside as well. You saw him appearing in those pockets. If you watched him throughout the 90 minutes, you'd see him finding those pockets of space, just moving around in them. And it sort of gave the Ukraine defence a bit of a, a, a decision to make. Do they follow him or do they stay in position? And whatever way they did, it was either going to come to Sancho or it was going to go to one of the wide players in Walker or Shaw at that time. He just he just solved that problem for you. And I think, to be honest, probably the person with the biggest smile on their face after that game will be Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Because I think he will have seen that Sancho is probably solving a problem for United that I would argue they've had for about 12 years. So they haven't solved since Cristiano Ronaldo left. Consistently strong performing right back. And, you know, you've seen players come in. We've seen Anel Di Maria. We've seen Alexis Sanchez. We've seen this season Rashford, Greenwood, Martial Matter all experimented in that position. If you, if, you, if Sancho can just give that bit of consistency on the right wing, start putting in those crosses, even coming into the centre, giving Bruno Fernandes and Paul Pogba something to work with as well, could just be a little bit of a missing piece of the puzzle for Manchester United. So I think they'll be very excited. But in terms of England and that performance, Sancho was definitely a standout at the Stadio Olimpico. Tom, just on the subject of wingers, um, Jack Grealish and Phil Forden last night didn't even make the team. Um, it's almost quite scary and sort of unbelievable the, the strength and depth that this England team have. And it's kind of gone under the radar as well because obviously we had the, the golden generation, you know, who never really achieved anything. But this side is kind of understated and it doesn't have necessarily the star power that, that you know, the golden generation did. But to have these kind of names on the bench, and I should have Jordan Henderson in there as well. I know he's not an attacker, but to, to be able to bring players like that off the bench is something that we've never really seen <laughs> with, with England for a very long time. Certainly not in my lifetime anyway. Yeah, there's so much depth. And also the good thing about the depth is um, there's so much depth in, in key areas uh, in situations when you need that depth. So pretty much everyone you've named there, they're game changers. So if you need someone to come on and change a game, that's where we've got that depth. I know we moaned at the start of the tournament that we had so many good right backs who could come in. Um, maybe that's not what you want, but it's really good to have the depth in those areas where we can bring on a Foden, we can bring on a Grealish, we can bring on a Sancho. Um, also in area, we've got Saka as well. I think I think Saka's probably going to, I don't know how serious his knock is. Uh, I guess we'll find out over the coming days, but he's the one who I think could come in and probably start against Denmark just because we saw um, we, we saw how he was used before to kind of nullify wing-backs, almost playing two right-backs against Germany um, with him being one of them. Um, and I think that, that Joachim Mailer as well, he's looked so dangerous for Denmark. I think Saka could, could well be put on the right. Um, and then that just gives us so much explosive depth from the bench, just bringing on a Grealish if we need him, bringing on a Foden if we need him. It's good depth. It's really good to have, and it's, it's in the right areas as well. Of course, we should do mention... If, do you mind if I throw something in here, Joe, as well? Yeah, so, yeah, of course. Sorry yeah. to jump in. Go for it. I think Southgate said something really interesting at the start of his uh, Match of the Day post-match interview. He said, 
the first thing he thought about was his reserve players. I think it was, he mentioned Mings, Chilwell, Ramsdale and Johnson as well. I think what it's implying to me is he, he's using his depth to motivate his players just to even get into that starting 11. It implies that there's this level of competition internally. And that is, it, it sort of gives the impression that these England players will feel like they've already won purely by being named in the starting 11 for Southgate. It makes it feel like it's a massive privilege for them. Again, I know people have talked about the sort of how players feel about the playing in the England squad, but it feels like right now, if you're getting in that starting 11 on the day, it's a huge honour for these players. And they feel like they're competing internally. So he's using that depth to motivate his players to be at their best for that game because he knows that everyone's place, maybe bar Luke Shaw, Jordan Pickford and Maguire after last night, uh, everyone's place is up for grabs still. on the subject Warren one of the things that interested me from the coverage last night was when Rio Ferdinand said that when he when, you know, when he was playing back in those days all of the England players sort of hated doing the media stuff they really really didn't enjoy it um, but this team seemed to have you know not only embraced it but have kind of used it to create this really positive atmosphere around the England team that you know we haven't really seen in, in our lifetimes um, how important do you think that that kind of atmosphere is Firstly, you know, the squad doesn't seem to have these sort of club rivalries of old, but also everybody just seems to be enjoying playing for England, whereas maybe in the past that wasn't the case. Oh, I think so. I think Gareth, Gareth Southgate makes that a huge part of being in the England squad, just enjoyment of being part of the team. I mean, you know, they come up for the interviews if they can hear what the reporters are actually telling them in that Wembley atmosphere. It's uh, They seem to give it their full answer. They It's not like they feel like, they feel like they're giving up like, the rehearsed thing that we've seen before, but they feel like they're just truly passionate about playing for this England team. And I think some of the photos we're seeing in training of them sort of enjoy, it's those moments where, you know, they're sort of enjoying that relaxation time, like playing volleyball in the swimming pool or playing that game with that rubber chicken, which I think <laughs> we're all still trying to figure out what that actually is. But it's, it's those moments, I think, of camaraderie, bringing it together and everyone understanding that common goal. It's, it's a small thing, but I think Gareth Southgate knows it's those small things that, make that make those big moments it makes you perform the right way in those big moments speaking of camaraderie tom one player who didn't have the best start to the tournament was harry kane but it, it was kind of that camaraderie and, and that positive spirit and the fact that nobody was in the squad seemed to be really worried about his lack of goals in the first few games and now he has obviously come back and he's, he's scored three in his last two um how important do you think, I mean, the answer is obviously very, but how important do you think Harry Kane is to England's chances of firstly getting past Denmark and if we can do that, then into the final as well? Yeah, he's crucial. I think I think we've known this all the way along. I, I think the last the last, um, last time I was on this podcast, we, we were talking about, do we drop him? Uh, <laughs> was, one of the, was one of the conversations we were having, do we bring in Calvert-Lewin because things just weren't quite working for him? But I mean, unanimously, all of us on the podcast that day said, yes, you keep him in, he's England's best player. Um, he's going to become England's, England's highest ever goal scorer at, at major tournaments. I think he's, he's only one goal away, I think, from levelling that, which is quite an achievement. Um, and and if, if we're going to go all the way to the final this year, he's probably going to beat it this summer. Um, yeah, he, it's a confidence game, isn't it, with, with strikers, especially people like Harry Kane, got that goal and he looked just full of confidence last night. I think the, 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 the big moment in terms of how confident he was was that volley it just looked like a prime Alan Shearer volley on the edge of the area. The one that just got kind of headed away and he just arrived, timed it perfectly and, and really unlucky not to score. Um, he'll be crucial. Uh, I think we all know that. And um, yeah, I think he'll be, he'll be huge uh, on Wednesday. 
Speaking of Wednesday, back at Wembley, Warren, um, England have done the least amount of travelling, I think, out of you know, every team we've played every game at Wembley apart from last night, which is at Rome. Um, how important do you think that is sort of for the freshness of the team firstly, but also mentally? I, th- I think maybe the trip to Rome might have helped a little bit. They were speaking about on TV last night about how it might have brought the team together a little bit, sort of taking out your comfort zone a little bit. You know, the team are now going to know that they're not winning just because they're playing at home. You know, they went away and they hammered Ukraine in Rome. But now back to Wembley, Warren, do you see that as an advantage for the next game? Huge, huge. I think that, I think we saw that clearly in the win against Germany. Those fans were just right on top of it. I'm not saying they did everything right, but I think they were just, they. when it came to that minute, those minute zero to minute 90, they were absolutely brilliant. That 12th man did its job to the T. And I think that's something that Denmark might just find is the one challenge that they can't get over, I fear. I mean, the last time that Denmark went to Wembley, they won 1-0, but this is it was at an empty stadium. Nations League, very different teams, very different form at the time. And you talk about travel plans. I mean, look at Denmark's now. I mean, they've gone from Copenhagen, gone to Amsterdam, but then gone to Baku. And they're coming all the way back to go to Wembley. It's it's a pretty long trip and it takes a lot of character to be able to go on that and then still come out on top. I think that Wembley crowd is going to be massive. It's going to be a very memorable day for everybody. I think who whether we're watching England or we're part of the team, whatever. And I think it, that will just be the hurdle that Denmark find. It will be the big advantage for England, as you say, Joe. I, th- I think Wembley will obviously be behind England, but I think the entire rest of the world might be behind Denmark in that game, Tom. And, you know, one of the main reasons that obviously being what happened to Christian Eriksen um, earlier in the tournament. But, you know, Dem- Denmark will be a much tougher test than than Ukraine. Um, you know, they're a better team on paper and obviously they've now got this this other thing to play for, which is playing for Christian Eriksen. How-, how important do you think a thing like that is for a team like Denmark who are going to be sort of backs against the wall? Yeah, I think this will be a tough game uh, compared to Ukraine. But I mean, in terms of the whole world wanting England to lose, I think that was probably exactly the same last night. Wasn't it? Um, <laughs> so they, they know all about that. Um, it, in, in England's bubble, being at Wembley, it will feel like the world wants them to win because every single person in that stadium is going to be um, England through and through, really. Um, yeah, it will be, be a tough game, Denmark. Um, as I say, I think we'll go five at the back against them, um, try, and, try and stop them. So it might be another game when for large periods, people are probably scrolling on their phones and not watching the game because there's probably not going to be an awful lot happening. But um, it's those it's those key moments where we seem to be getting it right this summer where we weren't before. Uh, I think Denmark are, Southgate said this last night and it's a quote I've heard a few times, they're just riding a wave of emotion at the minute. Um, first two games, they look poor, understandably, with what happened. Um, they really came to life in that final group game and since then they've just kind of, that momentum's not, not stopped. Um, I have to say, watching the game, the Denmark Czech Republic game last night, I thought both teams, I thought neither looked brilliant, to be honest, but that was about what I expected. Uh, they looked like teams England couldn't beat. Um, I did see a, a scary stat, though, that was something along the lines of the last six games between, between Denmark and England. I think Denmark have won three. I think I'm getting that right. And, and then the other ones, England have won two, and then the other ones are draw. So they've got the better form against us. But... But as Warren just said then, completely different form, completely different mood, completely different environment. But this is a meeting of two teams who are completely full of confidence and just riding a wave of emotion. Obviously, we've kind of just touched on it there, Warren, but Denmark, I think, did beat England the last time that we played them. And as, as Tom says, they have a pretty good record against England. 
do you think that that will play in, into this match at all or do you think it will just be kind of we're in the Euros bubble now and it's just one team against another? I mean, I mean it's, become, it's become a bit of a cliche now in post-match interviews, but I think they will say they're just approaching this game at a time, both of these teams. If I was Gareth Southgate right now, the two players I'd be focusing on if I wanted to get away past uh, Denmark would be Joachim Myler and Pierre-Emile Hoiberg. They're the two that I'd be looking at. I mean, Myler seems to be in the form of his life right now. Seven out of his 10 shots have been on target. And Hoiberg, it's, quite, it's gone under the radar a bit, but he's actually got three assists. He's level with Luke Shaw. I think they're all both just below somebody else who I can't remember right now. They're the two players. because I think Denmark are going to soak up that pressure and try and break away, get the likes of him and Kyle Brathwaite and Damsgaard, who have about 59 chance, made about 59 chance between them. So it's going to be about stopping Myler and Hoiberg, I think sort of choking them of sort of the ball or anything like that. And we, I think Frank Lampard's analysis again showed that England are very good at that, about sort of taking that player out of position to put that pressure on almost in a Guardiola-esque way at Man City, sort of taking that one pressure out of position to press the ball. And I think that's that one thing Denmark haven't come across yet is a defence like England's. They won't be able to get those breakaways as often, I think. So it's, like I say, it's going to be a very unique game. It's, they're both just going to be approaching it on that one game. The form will be thrown out the window, I think. And it, like you say, all that confidence... But it's going to be about game management. This one, another, could it be a Southgate masterclass? We'll certainly be hoping so. But I think that's what it will come down to. Tom, one of the things that we were speaking about before um, we came on air was Yannick Vestergaard, obviously, plays for Southampton, a team that you cover. Um, and one of the things you said that interested me, which actually, you know, I watch the Premier League, but I don't watch Southampton as often as you, is you said that Vestergaard is a defender who can have good games, but does have an error in him. So do you think that that's maybe an area that England can exploit? I don't think it's something you can target and or make happen. Um, he had a really good season for Southampton, but before uh, before last season, he was known as a defender who made mistakes and and sometimes dropped made Southampton drop points. But he really found a level of form. I mean, for those who don't know, Yanni Vestergaard's kind of recent story: he was fourth choice centre back at Southampton twelve months ago. Um, Eleven months ago, he was their best centre back and probably their best defender. He just completely transformed himself. Um, in the early month of the season, he didn't even start the first game and then Southampton needed a win and they went away to Burnley. He started and was brilliant and then was just strangely more than a defender. He was he was doing kind of what Harry Maguire does for England where he carries it out from the back. He was he was playing them precision balls through. Um, there's so many Southampton links in this game um, on, on Wednesday. There's obviously Luke Shaw. Uh, there's Thomas Delaney who's linked. There's, there's Hoiberg, ex-Southampton. Uh, Joachim Myler was a player that Southampton tried to sign a few years ago. Um, so th- th- there's so many links in this that Southampton fans will like. And I think Vestergaard is a defender who who has actually looked comfortable this tournament. But when you look at his, his big moments, he's, I think he gave away a penalty. He's been at fault for a goal or two here and there as well. So, you know, maybe it's something they can exploit, but I don't think it's something they can they can particularly target. You mentioned uh, Thomas Delaney. They obviously been linked with Southampton. He scored last night. He's, he's not a goal scoring midfielder. I think I looked last yesterday, and I think he scored two goals over the last two seasons. He's a defensive midfielder. But do you, do you think that that's a transfer that could happen? And do you think he could do a job at Southampton? He looks more advanced playing for um, playing for Denmark than, than I've probably ever seen him play before. He does look a little bit further up the pitch. Um, it's not one that I think will happen. I know he's he's, he's heavily linked, and in Germany, there's especially they're, they're, they're linking him with Southampton over and over again, but. Um, just before the summer break, I did speak to Ralph Arsenal about him, uh, and, he, and he said to me, we, "We're not probably going to get a midfielder um, th- this summer. That there's only a limited budget at Southampton. They're targeting right backs, left backs. They've already got one left back through the door. Um, 
I think if 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 they're going to sign any other positions, they'll look at a striker before they look at a central midfielder. They've already got depth in midfield. They've got Ibra Diallo, James Ward-Prowse, Oriol Romeu. There's Alex Jankovic coming through. Stuart Armstrong can play there. So they've got too many midfielders to, to be splashing cash that they don't really have on, on a Thomas Delaney. But um, he is someone who I, I spoke to a few journalists in Germany when, when the link was first made. It does look like he's going to move this summer, to be fair. So, um, yeah, if he has a, a masterclass against England, then he probably will get a few Premier League bids coming for him. Warren, just going back to the other game last night, so Czech Republic won, Denmark two. Um, Denmark in the first half scored two goals, looked like they were going to you know, win 4-0 like England did. But second half, Czech Republic scored early, came right back into it, and it was actually quite a close run thing in the second half. Denmark perhaps looking a little bit leggy you know, after all their travel. Do you think that's something that could you know, be a factor in Wednesday's game against England? Absolutely, I think it's. I think Tom's already referred alluded to this, but Denmark. We haven't seen a consistent ninety minutes yet from Denmark in this tournament. We haven't. Like England have done. We've seen them perform consistently from minute zero to minute ninety. I think against uh, Ukraine, bar maybe a one or two little uh, close calls, let's call them. But I think Denmark. We're waiting to see like a strong ninety minutes for them, and I think there will be that dip where I think England will look to sort of get in that dogfight, they'll look to sort of pull those fouls out. And that could be the opportunity where a set piece gets curled in and we get Harry Maguire or John Stones or Harry Kane getting their head on it. So I think that will be a massive thing. So I think that win against Czech Republic showed that definitely. That I think it confirmed to Gareth Southgate that he can expect some form of dip unless something unless there's a factor which is we can't predict that comes in like a red card or something like that that changes the game. So it's something that will go into Southgate's consideration, I'm sure. Yeah, definitely. It's going to be a huge game on Wednesday. Uh, guys, thanks for your time. That's all we've got time for now. We're going to be back every day between now and the next England game and indeed between now and the end of the tournament on Euros Digest Extra Time. So Tom, thanks for your time. Warren, thanks for your time. Everybody, thanks for yes. watching and listening.